You're listening to the Autism Weekly Podcast. Each week, we share community voices and bring light to stories that increase awareness, acceptance, equity, access, and inclusion. If you haven't already, subscribe to join the Autism Weekly family. I'm your host, Jeff Skabitsky. This week, we welcome neurodiverse community self-advocate and author Sam Farmer back to the podcast to talk with us about masking and self-awareness. Sam first joined our podcast back on episode 27, where we discussed his path towards autism awareness and acceptance. He has since joined us for episode number 52, where we discussed bullying, and number 60, where we discussed workplace success. If you don't already know, Sam is an author of a book titled A Long Walk Down a Winding Road. From the unique perspective of someone on the autism spectrum comes a book about working to carve out a better life in the face of challenge and adversity. Interwoven with true stories and personal hardships and triumphs, A Long Walk Down a Winding Road offers ideas and insights aimed at inspiring and empowering the reader to enhance quality of life. It also exposes what it can feel like to be autistic, as told by somebody who actually walks in these shoes. Sam has a wealth of knowledge and firsthand experience to share. We're thrilled to welcome him back. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jeff. Great to be back. Uh, so it's it's been a little while. I think it's been about yes. six months. But... <laughs> Since November of 2021, what have you been working on? What's new? Oh, as usual, I've been up to no good. <laughs> Guilty as sin. <laughs> but, um, just uh, continuing with what I call in my book, my paying it forward mission. Continuing to write, continue to do public speaking. Uh, podcasts like this one, author talks, etc just to um, share ideas and insights that hopefully my audience can use uh, to carve out better lives for themselves with whatever challenges or adversity they might face. That's the mission, is to help other people. And I've just been doing more of that. And that's so appreciated, Sam. And I mean, the topic that we're gonna be talking today has implications far beyond the autistic world. I think it has implications for each and every one of us individually, and that's masking. When I think about the world around us and even how I walk through it, I find myself masking at times. I find myself not always self-confident and self-aware to be my true self. And at times I think, and maybe this is naive of me, at, at times, I've convinced myself it's it's great, it's good that I did this in this situation. At other times, I'm like, why did I just do that? I need to be authentic. I need to be who I am. But maybe from your perspective, you can start us off by just giving us a little bit of an understanding. What what is masking in in your perspective? So there are different degrees of this. And you're absolutely right, Jeff. I mean, to an extent, to be human is to find yourself in situations where, to some extent, we can't fully be who we are um, in order to fit in. But there are different levels of that. And when you're neurodivergent, um, as autistic and other folks are, 
with a whole variety of diagnoses. Masking can take on a whole new level that, particularly if practiced long-term, can really be detrimental to sense of self, to self-esteem, in the sense that when you're neurodivergent in a society dictated by expectations and norms defined by the neurotypical majority, uh, by no fault of anybody's, it's the majority and generally the, the majority uh, forms expectations um, for society, that it can be a real, real challenge and that can do great damage uh, if practiced long-term. The way I know this is that I belong to a support group of individuals aged 50 and over who are neurodivergent. They talk about a lifetime of having to continually mask out of fear that if they don't, they won't fit in, they won't meet others' expectations. Many of them do it perhaps because they're in a workplace environment where they feel that if they don't mask, they might, heaven forbid, lose their job. And many of them forget who they really are. They lose track of who they are, uh, which is heartbreaking to me. And that I think stems from the fact that I think more needs to be done around not just autism awareness, but acceptance, if not appreciation, in the sense that neurodivergent people bring unique uh, capabilities, unique personality attributes um, to society. We bring a certain degree of value, we feel, to society, that why not throw appreciation in there along with awareness and acceptance. But because there's more to be done in those regards and because of the stigma surrounding autism and neurodiversity in general, from that stems the need to mask, including me. Yeah. I've needed to. We all, to certain extents, need to, but it's a matter of extent. I would argue that probably for the most part, if you are non-autistic in a majority non-autistic world, sure, there'll be times when you can't be who you are, but by and large, those incidences might be less commonly needed than scenarios where you can completely be who you are without consequence. When you were describing that initially, Sam, and you were talking about the fear of potentially losing employment. For the, example. Yeah. I mean, that that is something that I think is is real. And I don't know that people appreciate that that could exist on a regular basis, is that sometimes ignorance is our is our worst problem through this process is that we have not felt it ourselves. We don't know that experience and don't know how hard somebody is trying to fit in 
versus being able to be appreciated the way you're describing. Can you yes. give us a little bit of an example of maybe where that's happened? And, and you tell such wonderful stories, but in, in your own life where you feel like, you know, I didn't want to mask right then. I felt like I had to. The community around me was almost pressuring me to make that a, a choice. Have there been those times? Growing up in the late 70s, 80s, 90s, um, less so today than at that point in my life, um, I've always had this fear of confrontational situations, a fear of being yelled at, a fear of being the target of somebody's anger, um, obviously a fear of bullying, that I felt I needed to be a people pleaser, for example, in order to avoid those kinds of confrontational situations, which really scared the hell out of me. I thought that in being eager to please by doing what others expected of me, what others wanted from me, that that would be playing it safe in terms of confrontation avoidance. Little did I know that in doing so, I was probably doing more harm to myself than good in the sense that I wasn't being my true, genuine self as often as I'm sure I could have been if I perhaps were non-autistic or didn't have the fears or sensitivities or vulnerabilities that I had, and that to a lesser extent I still have to this day. Yeah. That um, it became, as I view it, my way of masking my true self is uh, being afraid to say no to somebody, uh, always saying, yes, okay, I'll do this for you, I'll do this for you. Not enough self-advocacy. Being somebody else's person rather than my own genuine true self mm -hmm. is an example. When you were in some of those groups where you where you were able to kind of talk honestly about that, and quite frankly, I think we all should have that sort of experience where we can kind of talk with a group of people and really be almost vulnerable at times to say, you know what, I didn't feel good about these situations. This is what I did. I wish I could go back because the more you talk about it, the more you can make change. But Absolutely. when you're talking through that and you're talking about, you know, those experiences where somebody routinely was masking I could imagine that has such an impact on somebody's self-esteem, self-worth. Self Having talked about this with others in the community, absolutely. It devastates them, particularly after long-term continual masking. And that's why I say it's a matter of extent. Ideally, you would have to mask your true self, a relatively minimal number of times. You would ideally not have to, add, to mask continually or for years, for decades upon end, the way many in the neurodiversity community have found they need to in order to stay out of trouble, in order to fit in, 
in order to meet expectations, to keep their relationships, to keep their job, etc. That you are absolutely right, Jeff, that it speaks to the importance of ideally all neurodivergent people. This is easier said than done. But important, I feel, to tell our stories, Mm -hmm. because when you tell your story of lived experiences, of vulnerabilities and challenges and strengths, talents, to speak in both respects, Mm -hmm. that ideally when you tell your story, people will listen. And as a result of listening, Hopefully they take what they learn about you to heart. And then in an ideal world, and these unfortunately seem like really big asks, is to then be able to empathize with those of us who are different, to be able to imagine themselves in our shoes. And that that could be a way to bring down the stigma, and uh, hopefully result in less of a need for neurodivergent people to mask. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I think hit the, hit the, what the nail on the head there. It's, uh, I mean, it is unfortunately a big ask is that society itself has moved in a direction where it, it's become you you need to be a part of the norm and you need to blend in at and all that's times. at the heart of the problem that me and many many other people most of whom i know on social media tell all kinds of heartbreaking stories of difficulties around masking for that very reason that the pessimist in me Uh, It's there. I'm not particularly pleased about it, but we all, I guess, have a little bit of pessimism in ourselves. I fear it may be too big of an ask, but we're doing all we can, nonetheless, to try to flip the script, to try to change the narrative on autism Mm -hmm. from one of mere awareness and stigma and that this is something you don't want or that it's something that needs to one day have a cure or that needs to be treated as if it's a medical condition to one of, look, this is who we are. We don't feel as though we need to be fixed or cured. We've accepted um, our autism. It would be wonderful if society could move beyond mere awareness to acceptance, and as some have in the community have said, in an ideal world, appreciation yeah. as well. Yeah, and I think all of those things are they're attainable. It, it will take some time, but they're all attainable because it's a small mindset. steps. But I do have, I mean, you and I both work um, on other projects that that are about empowerment through skill building and. Oftentimes, is I believe that there's a miscommunication between the the clinical world and the uh, world of neurodivergence on Correct. masking versus skill building. And I've had a lot of conversations similar, probably to what you have, as far as like, yes, you shouldn't have to mask, but even as an individual, 
I'm always looking to empower myself with new skills, new new ways of being able to learn. How I interact with those skills is important. And me too, Jeff. Me too. Over time, I've worked with clinicians who have helped me with skills mm-hmm. that I myself wanted to improve at to, to better myself in ways that beforehand I wasn't comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And that directly contributed to the strong sense of self that I feel that I've finally had in recent years in my life, where I'm almost 53 years old. It seems to me that it didn't really click until maybe around my mid-40s, give or take, that I finally reached a point where I felt fully comfortable in my own skin. But look, it took 45 some odd years to get there. I had to fight through all kinds of challenge and adversity, Mm -hmm. the people-pleasing slash masking phase. And, uh, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. The other point you bring up, which is a very valid one, is that with the autism spectrum and, and the neurodiversity community being incredibly diversified, is that you have different outlooks on autism. Um, you have what has been referred to as the medical model, and what has been referred to as the social model. Mm -hmm. I personally subscribe to the social model of autism, which deals not only with awareness, but also with acceptance and appreciation, where autism is not pathologized, um, where it's not treated like a medical condition or a disorder that has to be fixed or cured, And then for reasons that I can understand, there are others in the community who will subscribe to the medical model, who perhaps maybe do so because the challenges they face are more acute um, and where autism is something they wish they didn't have, Mm. that they'd rather get rid of for which they would like to have a cure. I've heard from those folks. And I think it all comes down to lived experiences of your outlook on things and of the attitudes that the people around you have that inevitably, I think, shape you to some extent of whether you veer more towards the medical model or the social model or maybe some blend of the two. That's, or that's the interesting. That blend, Because it's a spectrum we're dealing yeah. with that even though I subscribe to the social model, I'm not comfortable dismissing the legitimacy of the medical model simply because I disagree with it. There's a distinction there between disagreeing with something and rendering it completely illegitimate. Yep. And that's that's the piece that I that I love to be able to get in the conversations about is that we shouldn't have to mask who we are. We should always be appreciated for who we are, what we contribute. But I don't know that I don't know that you'd have to be on. I, I think there is that happy marriage of 
you're not treating the disorder. What you're doing is giving additional skills that people can continue to use if they choose to, but it's empowering them to make those treatment decisions on their own. It's not telling them you need to do this or you have to fix this about yourself. I'm with you 100% on that, Jeff. I'm an example of somebody who saw certain challenges that I personally wanted to work on. Mm -hmm. I sought out the help in my own good time, in my own way, I got the help that I felt I wanted and that I felt I should have just to be able to, in my view, live a better life. But it needs to be up to the individual to decide, all right, I can accept certain challenges for what they are, Mm-hmm. And then maybe there are other challenges that I want to address, yep. that I want to diminish, mm-hmm. or that I want to get better at, simply as a result of efforts to to move forward. And you're going to have a whole a whole variety of views on that. Yep. Of of what you can accept and deal with in the mm-hmm. way of challenges personality quirks, idiosyncrasies that you can accept versus those that maybe you have difficulty accepting and for which you'd like to seek help. Individual decisions where the danger happens is if that kind of change is imposed upon you Mm -hmm. by others is where I and many others in the community have a real problem where it's it's the freedom of choice i think yeah no self-determination should be a part of i mean every component of any aspect of life and i think it goes back to masking i think that and maybe you can give me some more perspective on this it's it's more the thought that if over time i keep having to feel like i have to mask i'm losing my confidence my awareness of self and I'm always saying, yes, okay, I'll fix that about me. I'll do better. I'll always be the one to make that change. It's, yeah, you know, all of us always want to improve upon self. But if the community is constantly telling you you're wrong, is that you lose, I would imagine, the ability to be the decision maker, to feel confident enough to be self-determined to say, this is what I need, what I want. I would agree with you on that. And that's at the heart of the problem with masking is uh, is the pressure to conform to the expectations of others. Fear of the consequences of not doing that. Fear of what it could do to you in the near term and long term of not being able to be your true self without consequence that that does the most that's where the damage happens the more of that you need to do again back to that question of the extent to which we need to mask the more of it you have to do i would argue the harder it is to achieve self acceptance And in the absence of self-acceptance, in my view, it becomes next to, if not impossible, to really achieve a truly strong sense of self. Mm -hmm. 
and to build a robust sense of self-esteem when you're not able to accept who you are because you feel the pressure to mask all the time. They're all connected. Yeah, and as we wait for society to catch up, unfortunately, we've created this problem for a lot of people so far. And you've been successful at, at kind of working through it and building those skills. And maybe you're still on your journey. Um, and it sounds like you're, you, the way you express things is that it's always a journey. But how do others get back to, or what would your advice be to others who have gone through that experience to be able to build back self-acceptance, build back strong self-esteem? So I've thought at length about this and the conclusion that I ultimately reached not that long ago was that knowledge is power. If you understand what masking is, you understand the harm that it can do. If you're continually and always needing to mask and that you do it long term and what it can do to you, having that knowledge, arming yourself with that level of awareness of the potential uh, problems with masking, then maybe what you can do is perhaps play the role uh, that a typical actor would, a professional actor, where you know you're acting, you're acting for a given reason. If you're a professional actor, you're doing it, you know, for your livelihood. <laughs> but you're doing so with, a, with an awareness of, of the harm it can do if internally you don't fight back. You kind of put on the, the external um, image that you feel you need to, but deep down, you still know who the real you is. That sounds like a lot um, to put on an individual though, Sam. I mean, how, how it do is we a lot. It gets exhausting and it contributes yeah. to burnout. Mm -hmm. It can burn you out. It has burned out many in the community whom I've communicated with and listened to their stories. Um, Many professional actors say they often fall into the trap of living their real lives according to a role that they play mm -hmm. on, on TV or in the movies. I've heard interviews of celebrity actors talk about that. It must be a real temptation, but therein lies the issue. The yep. challenge of um, having all this awareness and fighting internally with the knowledge you have to not let the external appearances that you put forward compromise you internally, compromise your sense of self, of who mm -hmm. you are, which I believe comes from deep down. But that is ultimately the conclusion that I reached if you're in a situation where you have to mask now, to counter that, I'm a big fan of support groups. I'm mm -hmm. a big fan of finding community. 
I've spoken to people who feel as though they seek out situations where they can be who they are without consequence. Ideally, you'd be able to do that with good friends, Mm -hmm. with your spouse, with people who are able to look past whatever challenges you face or personality quirks, idiosyncrasies, to, to see the good in you. I've been very, very fortunate to have known people who were able to see the good in me in spite of the front, you know, that I was projecting. And it speaks to the importance of who you choose to surround yourself with, the relationships that you have, um, the people you surround yourself with can either make you or break you. Yep. Um, and to seek out community. And there are support groups. I participate in a couple of them mm-hmm. where often, ideally, you could be who you are. Otherwise, it may not be the right support group for you, but there are a multitude of them offered through organizations in the community. The one that I that I participate in and that I know of best is uh, the Asperger Autism Network, AANE.org. Just a multitude of support group offerings, many of which are available remotely, virtually, for anybody to participate in. Not all, but many of which are free of charge to participate which I encourage, and um, to be wary of the people you surround yourself with. And that lastly, we all end up being in life situations where we're surrounded by people we don't want to be around, that if you arm yourself with this kind of knowledge, if you arm yourself with knowledge that there's this darker side to humanity that can bring you down and bring stigma and all the nasty, toxic stuff, that you have that awareness of what society is and that when you run into these people, would-be bullies, people who aren't kind to you, who don't validate you, to see them for who they are and to push through. And those are the conclusions that ultimately I reached of how you can deal with this whole masking dilemma. I think that, I mean, each step of that process is so important. And I I, I like the idea of finding those safe groups, but I, I challenge that when people do create those safe groups, and I do it myself right now, when I create a group is that I continuously introduce people into it because I think that the group can help to educate on that process too. And so you can sure. bring people and create sure. a larger group over time. And it's almost like that spillover effect is that, wow, now I have a community. Now I have a broader community and it, and it yes. just keeps growing on itself. But you have so much wonderful advice. And I mean, and doing it just in a podcast segment is super hard. Where can people find info about your book so that they can continue to follow along and, or, I mean, be able to see when you're speaking or presentations? All of it is at Sam Farmer, author, 
www.ghostbusters.com. Um, there you'll find information about who I am, information and reviews on the book, um, buttons that lead to my Amazon author page at which the book can be ordered. And if you do choose to order the book, thank you in advance for supporting it. Uh, I have a media page at samfarmerauthor.com with links to all kinds of content, videos, some of our podcasts. Jeff, I have links to some of those, and I'll have a link to this podcast oh, wonderful. soon after it's published. All kinds of articles, blog posts, interviews, coaching videos that I did for the Asperger Autism Network. There are fields on the website where you can join my mailing list. People on my mailing list are the first to find out about newly published articles that I write in advocacy for the neurodiversity community. They're the first to find out about newly released podcasts, about virtual and in-person events that I'm doing or that will do in the near future. And then there are events and resources tabs there too, where information on all the events that I do are on the events page, resources. Um, the Asperger Autism Network is one among many of uh, organizations with whom I have relationships, who I mention on the resources page, and then ultimately a contact page where if anybody wants to reach out to me about anything, uh, whoever reaches out to me, I always respond. Um, whether you have a question about an article that you've read or a question about something I talk about in the book, but maybe I left out some details that one might want to know about, whatever it is, anything, people can reach out to me through the contact page on my website. Again, samfarmerauthor.com. Well, Sam, I always appreciate the transparency, the knowledge, and the willingness to share that you have. And, and hopefully we'll be able to get you back on again soon. But that'd be one time. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank you.